Ponder on these inky chats. Screw or snap on your thinking caps. That's right, listeners. Welcome, welcome. Uh, you're here with the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. We are coming at you from uh, many corners of Sydney today, uh, doing a bit of remote recording, not joining from Sharon's lounge room as normal, but we still have uh, our regular returning hosts. Uh, so joining us today, we've got uh, Sharon, who I understand is uh, has has barely, barely left uh, her room. Uh, welcome, Sharon. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here in my bedroom recording today, so it's a new experience. I actually can't move from where I'm currently seated because Sebastian's in my lap. Yeah, I, I've got lemons staking out the front door uh, because we're a few doors down from a cafe and she likes uh, she likes having a chat with the dogs that come by and um, asking them uh, what exactly they think they're doing uh, on her turf. Um uh, but also joining us, uh, fearless leader uh, Diana Dye joining. Uh, welcome, Dye. Good morning. This is a oh, it's a Saturday morning. It's currently ten a.m. Sharon, she won't say, but um, let's just say she hasn't gotten out of bed yet. <laughs> I did say that I hadn't gotten out of bed yet. <laughs> um, I I was up. Uh, but just because uh, years of nursing has made me uh, re- really, truly incapable of, of staying in bed for too long. I woke, uh, up, I woke up very early as per regular um, waking time at 5.30, expecting to be able to stay in bed and um, watch the Mike Madison live stream on YouTube, uh, which he does every Saturday morning for us and every Friday afternoon for them. But I think because it's the Pelican Hub, um, the, 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 the regular stream wasn't there. So he recorded a little bit early so that they could get to the hub. And so I was quite bereft. And then I went back to bed. I went back to sleep. <laughs> uh, I, I, I made uh, breakfast uh, in, in bed for my partner and all that sort of... I always like I wake up and do the dishes from last night or do the laundry or something that kickstarts my day so that oh, by absolutely. the time... By the time that midday comes and I start feeling lazy, you're very I'm productive. To- I'm totally justified feeling that way. Yeah, you know, even if I don't do anything for the last, you know, for the last half of the day, I've at least done some laundry. Exactly. Um, My laundry is uh, already up and running. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. At, at the very least, load up the machine when you when you wake up. Um, yeah, it does the rest of the work. But uh, let's let's take to the uh, what we are writing with. Uh, oh wait, wait, wait! Today. Let's um let's set the scene here first. Okay, okay. Uh, we're go. recording this on Saturday morning, the twenty first of September. The Pelican Hub was last night in Sydney, and I think it might be still ongoing now in various countries, especially um, the the west coast of the US. It's still pretty early afternoon. Or early evening, so yeah, it's 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 happening right now. Yeah, people people might be on their way still. Yeah, so Saturday morning after the Pelican Hub, um, we, we we have some other events we're going to cover today as well, um, and and some some other follow ups from things we've mentioned before. Um, but uh, do, how about how about you kick us off, Di? Uh, what are you writing with today? I am writing with <laughs> a ballpoint. <laughs> um, oh, the old jotter. No, not my jotter. A different um, purse pen. This is a Carandash 845 ballpoint. It's one of the limited editions from, I think, this year. It's this 
beautiful corally pink with because um, that's because that's the color of the year. Is oh no, I think it came in a set of um, three or five, and they're all very interesting color schemes. This one is like a, a sort of matte coral pink body with a bright pinkish um, purple clip. And the what do you call the, the the pressy thing, the clicky thing at the the back? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the button that's um, a metallic, like a rose, goldish purple color. It, it's pretty cool. It's very very shiny. Uh, what about you, Sharon? Um, what have you? What are you writing with from uh, from the comfort of your of your bed? Currently, I'm in bed, so I'm not writing with anything. <laughs> but what I have been writing with is the new uh, pilot vanishing point in the turquoise, for which was the limited edition for this year. It's a really great color, that one. I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, so I like the pattern finish um, of it. It reminds me of the sunset blue as well as the moonlight, which were the Japan limited editions. And so I think it just fits in very nicely with that entire theme. And what have you got inked there, uh, Sharon? Oh, I've just got the standard... Um, my old faithful pilot, Iroshizuku Asagao. We don't need to say any more because we've gone on ad nauseum about this particular color. That, that's but your, I am, your blue of 2019, your, your daily. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I am really keen on trying out the Pelican Edelstein Star Ruby because I've received conflicting um, uh, pieces of information uh, and, I, and I'm going to go swab it up later today. When I first uh, heard about the Star Ruby, I thought um, it would be more of a pinkish red, probably similar to tourmaline, maybe a little bit redder than the tourmaline um, that Pelican came out with. But last night, um, one of the ladies from Dimix, uh, Sue, mentioned that it was quite a vibrant red, and then this morning, I've heard other... It's definitely injects. pink. I'm swabbing it right now. Okay, then. I'm, yeah. I'm keen to try it out. Uh, I'm curious, because it, it may also... Uh, it might just be an ink that behaves differently depending on the paper. I know not just with, not just with like, sheening and shimmer that different papers can bring out different elements of, um, of colors. And uh, I know, for example, um, I'm... I'm hugely a fan of how life notebooks make um yellow inks look star ruby might just be one of those um as for myself i have a mont blanc generations in yellow that i've i've recently managed to get and i've got the uh sydney darling harbor ink uh, the 2019 sydney pen show uh, ink in it from robert oster uh, and I, I hadn't actually had a chance to ink it up since the pen show um, and I kind of swabbed and played around with it. On Tomoe River paper, it's it's quite nice. It's kind of dusky, like a, a little a little bit murky. I was just saying with um, dye that uh, yeah, it, it's not quite as vibrant. But also, you shouldn't swim in the waters in Sydney Darling Harbour, so it may be it may be accurate. 
but it, it's nice. It, it, I suppose it'd be a, a decent daily ink in like a wet pen because I, I, I like the darker end of it rather than the, um, the light edges. Uh, so today we've got a follow-up uh, with something we've mentioned previously uh, in episode 44, which was our carry and storage episode. Di mentioned her peg and all Sendak artist role. And she, uh, I believe you ordered that uh, in January of last year. Mm-hmm. And you had some um, concerns about the, the leather used on the, the strap or uh, something. In them. Yes. So to be fair, when I... It was mentioned in passing in our carry and storage episode. Um, I just mentioned that um, it was something that I'd picked up, thinking that I'd use it for my fountain pens, but I never really used it because I found the leather belt-like clasp. Um, what do you call that sort of a clasp? It's, it's a, a, the buckle. It's a strap with buckle, right? Yeah. Um, I found it very difficult to work with because the leather it didn't go through the buckle very easily because it was sort of fraying at the end of the of the leather strap and Margot from Peganor uh, very kindly reached out to me on Instagram and she offered to send me a replacement and she asked if we would like a Sendak the original one that I ordered or the Mini Sendak, which is a slightly different variation, which came out in the last year or two. And um, I thought, great, I'd love to see it again and see if the leather quality is different. And um, just for a change, we'd have a look at the Mini Sendak, because um, my issue with the Sendak wasn't with the design necessarily, it was mainly with the clasp and the closure method. Um, So... I got that, the replacement, a couple of months ago. We haven't had a chance to do a proper review of it until now. And because Chuck's very interested in leather goods and he's much more knowledgeable about it than I am, um, I passed it on to him to do a thorough review of the original Sendak and the Sendak Mini, which Margot sent. Yeah, I, so I took I took a pretty holistic look at, at both of them and I, I gave him a little bit of time. There's a lot of similarities between the two. It, the Sendak Mini kind of unfolds to about half the size of the Sendak. And I think is, for, I mean, for my purposes, would be a more reasonable size. I think the, the Sendak holds like 24 um, and the Sendak Mini holds 12 or something. Mm. Um, potential like pencils and brushes. But to be fair, they're, they're labeled as an artist's role. And Absolutely. Actually, the way that I heard about Pen and All, I think, was on um, an Instagram called Green and Blue or something. It was um, It's a very boutique um, watercolor paint maker. They're an artisanal paint maker who grinds... Uh, natural materials, uh, molds them and produces pigments that she sells on their websites. And um, on their Instagram, they showed how an artist would use the Sendak artist role, you know, with brushes and pens and pencils. And I just thought that whole aesthetic was really pleasing. And I can see how an artist might find the format and um, the little pouches and everything really useful. So I, I bought that Sendak like I said, um, in January 2018, when I was in the middle of doing my Liz Steele watercolor <laughs> workshop online. Um, so that was that's the context. Um, it's not necessarily something that I was 
thinking of exclusively putting my fountain pens in. But of course, because I also sketch with fountain pens, it would be nice to put a fountain pen into that role as well. My, my broad strokes for it were that I think as an artist role, um, it's actually really good. It's um, the, the sleeves in it, the pockets are a really good size for pencils, for brushes. I love the waxed canvas. The stitching is quite nice. Um, I have a, a couple of notes about it if you're a fountain pen user, um, and it doesn't particularly serve my purposes, um, and I'll get into why, but I think, I think overall it's, um, it's a, like a, a well-thought-out pen-pencil role for, for an artist. And if, um, if you're into, and I think this was something that you weren't previously aware of, Di, I like companies that uh, tend to repurpose old and like discarded materials rather than having it go into landfill. And I don't think you were aware that that was uh, a thing that Peg and All tries to do. No, not not when I initially purchased it. Yeah, so I think their waxed canvas tends to be the only new material that they have, whereas the leather the wood they use for their their other things not for this for the sendak but the the leather and the metal hardware that they use is recycled and come from very old and um disused things that they're trying to re uh, repurpose and so i'm uh similarly to you i thought the buckle was um if you're sort of uh unrolling it for short bows of writing and then sealing it up again. It's not very fast, but if you're bringing it somewhere to spend a longer amount of time drawing and sketching, then it, it makes more sense. Um, the leather is definitely old leather. I mean, it's well, it's well cut. I like the leather detailing, particularly there's like a little uh, kind of badge on the front of the full-sized Sendak that uh, denotes that it's the Sendak artist role. Um, and that's quite nice. But uh, I had similar things with the belt that um, you did. And it, it really is just characteristic of uh, older leather that it is, I mean, really not going to break in the same way as new leather. And you can you can oil it up and uh, help it as best you can, but it's, it is always going to be a little uh, tougher and harder. Um, the I mean, the burnishing, the, which is kind of like the edge finishing on the leather, could use work um it's not bad but it's also not the neatest when i um communicated with margot from peganol on instagram and i explained my issue with the leather sorry when i explained my issue with the leather on the sendak large version that i got initially um she said that there was probably a manufacturing flaw um that caused it to split um at the strap and she put it down to the fact that it was probably belly leather, and I wasn't sure what that meant, which is why I turned to Chuck. Did you find that with the replacement, the Sunday Mini, that the strap was um, an improvement on the original? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the type of leather is clearly different. Mm -hmm. it, it is true that belly leather... Belly leather doesn't, it's not exposed to the same extremes as like, say, shoulder or, or you know, uh, rump hide. So it's not as, uh, it doesn't take movement on um, as well. But 
I mean, the main characteristic of the leather in general is that it's older repurposed leather. So there's there there is a, a difference, but look, if you're if you're after the kind of pen roll that is going to keep your pens like completely mark free and well nestled and is going to look brand new every time you see it it's not this isn't really an appropriate pen roll for you i also don't think it's super appropriate if you like girthy uh, fountain pens i couldn't get an optima into it and i i wouldn't have forced it but i had no issue at all with uh, like a decimo so you know if if you have a preference for slimmer fountain pens um this is going to be an easy pick for you uh, and also if you like things to look like they've had uh, a life if you if you want um you know uh, the wax canvas is going to age well and the leather will also take marks and age well but it's n- it's not going to look pristine so if it depending on the kind of uh, aesthetic that you want out of your pen roll um and depending on the kind of pen you use it could be useful for fountain pens but i, I really do think that the strengths of it lie with that kind of artist role where you're bringing a lot of instruments out that you may not necessarily use all at once, but you would like to have around for the option. Lots of pencils, lots of brushes, etc. I think to give it a fair go, you really have to assess it in terms of the most likely user, right? And I think this is probably a product aimed at person who is using it as a mobile artist's pouch and a holder because I think the larger version is also big enough to hold a notebook in the size in in the back it's got a little um like a slot that you can put a maybe a b6 size notebook or a small small pad into sendak mini you could probably fit a travelers but you know not not a um not a, a bigger book if we're looking at it from the point of view of someone who is maybe an urban sketcher or even a someone working in an indoor studio, do you think that this is something, you know, that they would be interested in, that that's a good product for them? Yeah, look, I think I think the product is well made. We, we had this talk about Musubi as well, where I think it's better if you know, if you know the mission statement of the company. Um, and like what they like to do and that they're repurposing goods and that you know that that's what uh, that's an element of what you're you're paying for. By the same token, though, um, I know that you have this interest in repurposed, um, yeah. reclaimed and repurposed materials, uh, because I think a couple of years ago, you when you bought your um, that big yellow Duffel, uh, duffel yeah, 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 which is made from fireman's hose, I believe you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or some sort of a poster, probably fireman's hose. And yeah, that's a sort that's of waxed, it's not a wax canvas, but it's like a coated canvas, isn't it? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a composite material. I think it's, it's like rubberized. Oh, so it's fire retardant. Um, yeah, yeah. I find uh, the choice of materials in the case of your duffel to be more of a fit with the result uh, or the product that it was reused in Uh, um it's not necessarily supple but it's got a bit of rigidity but it's not too hard it has great color it's very usable um but my issue um i think i mentioned this to you earlier is i think that in the case of peg and all i i really have to question um whether there might have been a better choice of material to use for that 
buckle and the strap, maybe a different type of reclaimed leather or even something like canvas, like a, a canvas belt. A, yeah, a, a fabric belt instead of that sort of a leather. Yeah, I think with the material they're working with, you'll, you're ve- you're likely to see batch variations as well. Um, there's there's definitely a difference between the the strap of the Sendak and the Sendak Mini. Um, I think that if you know that, then there's there's more awareness. Um, there's more sort of acceptance of uh, what you know, uh, the, the kind of material and how it's going to, uh, going to age as well. I, I do also think that there, the, I mean, if you look at the, um, Peganol Instagram and if, if you look at their, um, you you look at their website, um, there's a clear kind of like rustic, uh, image that they're going for. Um, that's, you know, the, the kind of materials that they, they work with and their kind of output is, uh, it, it gives off the sense that every product is, uh, well put together and durable, but not necessarily like clean or not necessarily um, unmarked. It's kind of like buying antique furniture instead of, um, or, or you know, or weathered furniture instead of brand new furniture. It doesn't suit my purposes, but I still like it. Um, so I, I, the two that we've ended up with um, on the pod, uh, I, I don't really because all of my pens are wider. Uh, Dai, you know that I like Optimas, you know that I like, um, you know, and the Decimo I have fits in it perfectly, but it's the one, maybe one to three pens that fit in it fine. Right. Um, I think you said even a Safari might be too wide for yeah, the for the narrow slots. Yeah. Uh, I didn't try to force the Optima. There's other, other ones that I didn't even uh, attempt, but yeah, look, if you like a slimmer pen, maybe like a Pro gear, uh, pro gear slim or whatever, then it'll it'll be uh, perfectly fine for your purposes. And certainly, um, I'm going to link to Green Leaf Blue, which is the Instagram of Green Leaf and Blueberry Company, who makes the watercolor pigments that um, I mentioned earlier, and they have some great like marketing shots on their Instagram showing how they use the Sendax. Um, and I definitely think it's. It's a very handsome looking pen roll and it fits a certain sort of aesthetic, uh, but maybe not necessarily for all artists or for all fountain pen users. Yeah, uh, I, I just counted and there are 16 in the Sendak Mini. Um, and so, like, 16 I don't know. 16 what? There's 16 little sleeves for, okay. for yeah, um, for the Sendak Mini. Um, and look, if you, if you have like an extensive Decimo collection, it might be your thing. But if you've, if you want to store, Optimas, if you want to store like one four sixes, it's not gonna, it's uh, not a great match for it. I mean, that's 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 all I have to say for those. I think they're good quality. They have a, a very like weathered, rustic appearance to them that I I find endearing. Um, it doesn't suit my fountain pen needs. Hmm. We're going to be giving away both the Sendak Artist Roll and the Sendak Mini. Uh, probably as a batch through our Instagram. We haven't quite set up the rules for that yet, but watch out for that on our Instagram, which is yeah, we'll, at the we'll next decide section. probably probably by next episode or something. <laughs> yeah. So we hope it goes to a loving home. Yeah, absolutely. I I, th- I think it's uh, it's definitely a product that will bring 
uh, someone a, a lot of joy. I don't. I don't think it's uh, my my mixed review is really due to the fact that I'm I'm really trying to pick apart things that have worked for me and and things that haven't. But I I, I do think it's a good product, and I would love to see one of our listeners uh, really take you know um, take it into their fold. We do we do have a couple of other things we're going to cover, which are much more uh, much more about Sharon and uh, Di's experience, though. Yeah, we missed you at the Pelican Hub last night. Yeah, no, that I I believe people I, were asking about you. Yeah, I look, I just wasn't going to make it out of the house. <laughs> um, I believe I was I was shacked up with uh, potato gems and um, yeah, I, I just wasn't in a I wasn't in a mood, but. Um, <laughs> The the two of you uh, did go, um, I, I believe. Yeah, Sharon, what were your thoughts? Oh. <laughs> We've been doing all the talking until now. Oh my god, you completely <laughs> handled that to me. I've been on, not gonna lie, I've actually been on my phone scrolling through and checking out the prices of the new iPhone 11. While are those on the market yet? They are indeed. I got an email notifying me of them. That is not my rec for today. I'm not <laughs> sure how I feel about the bug eyes on the back, but um, I, I really need a new phone. I've dropped mine so many times and it's starting to glitch. Last week it wouldn't turn on for about 15 minutes, and I was freaking out in my car. I've got an S7 that is like so good. It's held up perfectly and it's, I mean, it's only exploded on me a handful of times. Only <laughs> a handful? Yeah, yeah. Well, that would explain why, um, Di, you get me to take all the photos because mm-hmm. my phone's camera still works. Mm-hmm. Um, so Pelican Hub last night, well, so in Sydney, the Pelican Hub has grown quite a fair bit over the past couple of years. Um, I remember the first year... I don't think I actually attended the first year. <laughs> Which was the first year? Um, the first year was 2016. What colour was that? <laughs> I don't remember. It, it might have been Smoky Quartz or was that 2017? No, so, so Smoky Quartz was two years ago. So I went to the one with Aquamarine. That was my first one. And I think the year before they had one. They was Smoky Quartz the second one? Um. I thought the first one was Amethyst, and then it was Aquamarine, Smoky Quartz, Olivine. Yeah, so I I seem to recall that the first one was the year that they did uh, Amethyst, which I didn't which I didn't go to. The first one I went to was the Aquamarine year. So Aquamarine, Smoky Quartz, Olivine, now Star Ruby. The first one that I went to was. Um, a smaller event. It was a much smaller event and it was held um, at one of our usual meetup spots, which was a pub. Um, and we had that particular year, we actually had a downstairs area, which was um, unfortunate because it was right under the speakers. And on a Friday night, pubs tend to blare really loud music. Um but we had really big tables and the ability to walk around and interact with the bulk of um, the attendees. Fast forward, the next year we ended up moving upstairs, I want to say. Um, oh, no, I got my years around. Sorry, Smoky Quartz year we were outside. I remember that because I filled up a bottle of ink right outside. So the first year we were actually upstairs, but we had a much smaller area and much smaller turnout. 
I think out of um, all of the Pelican hubs, the first year's one was the one that stuck with me the most vividly because the attendees, um, it was just a smaller number of attendees. I actually got to go around, meet everyone, try some different pens. It was the first year that uh, Ian came and brought David the was food. there as well, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, no. He oh, was David there, was the second course. year. Yeah. So um, Ian was there the first year and he brought his collection of the Asian uh, exclusives oh, of, of the course. Pelicans. I remember this now. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first year that I actually tried all of those. And um, uh, yeah, I just remember that year the most because of um, the interactions that I had with everyone who attended. So this year, um, we changed Hub Masters in Sydney and it was moved to uh, Dimmicks, the bookshop, which also has a very diverse stationary area. And we were actually located up in the Dimmicks um, Cafe, which if anyone's actually been to Sydney, what it basically is, is a little horseshoe. It's a tiny horseshoe and it's uh, you have to enter it via a stairwell a stairwell or a series of escalators and it's a completely fenced off viewing gallery effectively um, that has a seating and also has um, a little cafe in the corner which was uh, kindly still opened for uh, the pelican hub it's like a series of booths that wrap yeah. around um, an atrium that looks down onto the the bookstore downstairs yeah. So, I mean, huge pros this year were that we could actually hear everyone and it was a much quieter location. The lighting was quite good. Uh, It was hit and miss. The booth that we were at had no lighting. The venue was a lot quieter. Um, Everyone did get seats and booths and um, the store had actually completely shut, shut down for after hours and was there for our exclusive use, which was very nice. So I I didn't have an issue with the location because it was very convenient. I had originally thought it would be held closer to the stationary, the stationary section of Dimmicks where there's a fair, fairly large standing room only area. Um, but at least there, there'd be a huge selection of pelicans you could take a look at. Um, I think it would be more conducive to people testing and trying out different things. I think it'd be just more conducive to something like um, uh, mingling and socialising with each other. Whereas the real downside for me this year was the fact that we were in little booths. And once I get comfortable in a booth with like a milkshake or something, I ain't going to (laughs) move. And so I found myself not really interacting or saying hi. or I basically didn't interact with anyone at the hub unless they came to my booth. Um, I said hi to a couple of people on the way in, and that was about it. Because of the way the layout of uh, where we were situated, the walkways were also very, very narrow, and you couldn't really hover in a walkway um, and stop by each person's booth. I love a booth hover. uh, Well, because there were still um, the cafe owners, the cafe owners who were serving dinner. There was just no room to move about. It wasn't very um, conducive to mingling, effectively. Um, also, the aircon was broken. It didn't impact me, but a lot of people felt the 
felt the heat. It wasn't broken, sorry. It was just switched off. It was switched off because it was after hours and it was, I think, centrally controlled. Yeah. So, I mean, all in all, there were um, some real upsides in it in that we did uh, we did have a very private location. It was very different. Um, I think if we are to do the Pelican Hub again next year in Dimmix, I would prefer to do it in the standing room only part just because it it will allow people to mix mix and mingle a little bit more. Because uh, this year I didn't feel like it was much of a social event. I kind of just rocked up i had a crepe had some more had some sparkling water i had a bit of a catch-up with people i already knew and i left sharon didn't mention this but i i feel obliged to say that i really felt the lack of social lubricant in the sense that the cafe <laughs> <laughs> the cafe did not serve alcohol at all and that didn't bother me. Oh, it bothered oh, me. What a tragedy for the two of you. <laughs> I, I know, honestly, it did not bother me at all. I was very surprised. Um, but it, I will admit, this is the first year that I've done the Pelican Hub entirely stone cold sober. And I'm not going to say that that was part of the reason why I, did, I didn't feel it was as memorable. But um, it was the first year I did a stone cold sober. I think the numbers were certainly there. Um, I counted the number of tables filled, and I would guess we had at least 60 um, I think attendees. they said 80. I think 80 registered, but I'm not sure how many people were there at the night. And, well, they wouldn't have had me down on their numbers because I, I completely missed the registration table when I came up, so they didn't even get my name marked off. But... I certainly saw new faces, um, people that I don't think have come to the hubs before. There are also a lot of old faces, which was nice because this is still one of the largest pen meet, or probably the largest pen gathering that we have in Sydney. Not counting the show because at the show there's really no opportunity for us to all sit down and and get to gather as a group so i think it's still a worthwhile like a social gathering um but i really have to wonder if pelican kind of needs to rethink how they manage this event as it's grown and sort of diversified i know that a lot of pub masters have been doing it since the beginning so leo in hong kong I think he's been the hub master for at least the last four years or so. But in Melbourne and in Sydney, both of those cities this year, um, the hub master that we've had for the last few years elected not to organise the event this year. So we had, you know, people who were less experienced and who brought their own idea of what the hub could be into the picture. And I think that has its risks and it also presents certain opportunities. It's certainly not the hub that I'm used to, but um, I'm still curious to see how it evolves. I will say that this year there was a very generous giveaway at the um, hub. So they actually gave away via raffle. Everyone who entered in got a raffle ticket to win a M405. So a gold nib, black um, with silver trim fountain pen. So that was very generous. And I think that was donated by um, the Pelican distributor, I think. 
was donated by the Pelican distributor, who was also present on the night as well. Do you know who who won the giveaway? Um, uh, someone who I ha- I don't actually know personally. May have been a new person. Uh, his name was Kevin. <laughs> okay, that's about as much as I caught. Raffle raffle ticket number sixty one. Hmm. I think in Sydney we're a little bit. Sp- Spoiled, or those of us on FPO at least, we're already quite spoiled when it comes to um, meetups because we do see each other quite regularly and we see other fountain pen, other members of the fountain pen community at least once a month. So I still think that in cities like mm, even smaller areas in in Australia, like Newcastle, which I think is having its third hub this year. And they don't meet up as regularly as we do. I think it's still a really cool social event. And for newcomers, it's something to to make them aware that this is a thing. Um, because the Pelican Hub is still the most well-known, probably, um, fountain pen meetup worldwide. And if this is an opportunity for you to meet other fountain pen people and to know that there are groups online for fountain pens and maybe get more involved that way, then I think it's a great, like a social outreach sort of thing. And certainly on um, speaking as one of the moderators on um, Fountain Pens Oceania, we have been getting quite a few new members in the last 24 hours or so. And I think that's probably from folks who have sort of rocked up to the hub and realized that there is this group that meets regularly and have a community online and they're just joining. So that's great. All right. That's not the only event that uh, the the two of you have done in the past week, is it? No. And I wondered about the serendipity of this. So the Pelican Hub we've known for quite a while was being held on the Friday, the 20th. And a couple of weeks ago, I got an invitation from the Mont Blanc group in Sydney um, inviting me to a Mont Blanc calligraphy masterclass at the Castle Ray Street boutique. And um, Sharon and I rocked up and this event was on the Thursday, which is the day just before the Pelican Hub, which I thought was, you know, very nicely timed. If you happen to consider Mont Blanc and Pelican to be the two German, the main rivals in the international fountain pen, the prestige fountain pen world, certainly in terms of volume, probably. And I I really didn't know what to expect. Um, The invitation to this event just said it would be a workshop-like thing where there would be a calligrapher there to instruct us on our handwriting and calligraphy. And also we would be able to test the new Mont Blanc calligraphy expression nib, which is, I think, online quite a bit now because it's already in the market in Europe and it's known as the new Mont Blanc flex nib. I honestly was wondering when they were going to dip their toe into this. Um, <laughs> I, I, f- I feel like the, the other companies have been a little quicker on the uptake mm-hmm. uh, for, for adopting that. Uh, and I wondered if it would ever reach the luxury kind of level that uh, Mont Blanc service is at. And it clearly has. But I remember when I saw it, I was like, ah, and and you too. Yeah, I wonder if Pelican's going to be going into the whole flex thing next. Because it's really nothing like how a normal Pelican rides, right, um, with flex. But um, maybe we can start with... What were your general impressions of the night, Sharon? Um, so I will say I had a fantastic time on the night. Um, I can say it was a very 
different event, obviously, to the Pelican Hub. And I actually, I actually had lower expectations for the Mont Blanc event than I did Pelican because, um, I thought the Pelican Hub was something that I was quite experienced in attending. And, um, I, uh, I knew that there would be lots of people there that I would know or that, you know, I've uh, bumped into in this particular community, people I'd be able to have a chit chat with. Um, but with the Mont Blanc event, all the only person who I knew was going to be there was Diana. Um, and look, I see Diana a lot, so I don't need to go to a fountain pen event to, um, you know, have a good kiki with her. So I will say the Mont Blanc event as a whole really blew me out of the water. I had a really good, a good time at it because, um, one, even though they market it as a calligraphy masterclass, I didn't go in there thinking that it was going to be a calligraphy class. I went in there thinking it was going to be a Mont Blanc evening. And that's exactly what I got. I got an evening on Mont Blanc. I got an evening of handling and we'll talk a little bit more about it later trying some one-of-a-kind pens so they brought in some of the uber prestige um patron of the arts i think they were the patron of the arts um uh high-end fountain pens so these are like the ones which are limited edition of 80 limited edition of like 70 something um very very rare pens that we got to hold, observe, you know, we got to hear the stories behind them. We got to hear about the craftsmanship, how they were made, the material behind them. So all of that for me was a real highlight. That was the part that I enjoyed the most um, in actually physically handling these pens. Then uh, I think it would be remiss if I didn't mention the calligraphy nib. Um, so I will get one of these at some point. I felt like on the night, I said jokingly, um, they served canapes and champagne on the night and, uh, they weren't bite size, you know, uh, bruschetta with like some tomatoes all night long. It was, and it was actually a full meal in canapé format. Um, and I hadn't appreciated that. Diana and I went for uh, dinner beforehand. Um, but I jokingly said that had they been more generous with the champagne, and mind you, they were very generous with the champagne, but had I gone started earlier, I probably would have walked out with the new 149 calligraphy nib. Well, I was going to say, did you see anyone there do that? No. No. So no one actually walked out with purchases other than, I'm pretty sure, Di and myself. I, I bought three bottles of ink. Um, and I bought one bottle of the the elixir, the the scented ink, which yeah. was like the cost of two bottles of ink, <laughs> the normal ink. Yeah, that's the which which color did you get? I got vetiver green, the, the sort of a light leafy green. Of course, of it's course. It's nice. It's like um a slightly yellower and lighter chicorine. I got three bottles of ink and. I was a bit taken aback at how expensive the Mont Blanc inks were. Um, I got two of the blues and one of the limited edition greys. On the night, let me try to remember who was there. So there was quite a lot of sales staff in the store. Yes, I was surprised by how many sales staff there were. There were more sales sales staff than there were attendees. (laughs) That's all. Yeah, true. Yeah, it it was. So I think it was pretty much everyone who, who worked 
at the Kasoreg store, but there was also the Camille, the I think the writing writing the instruments manager for us. Was the brand manager? Was she for for Australia? Yeah. Um, was Randall for for writing? Wow. I, I don't remember um, everyone's titles. They um, they sort of briefly introduced themselves. Very memorable was the um, Australia di- managing director who was new in the role and he was sitting next to me and he was quite fun um and he was like participating in in the workshop and um the calligraphy attempts that we were all doing um and we had an opportunity also to chat with joe who was our calligraphy instructor she she's not from mont blanc but she does work with i think mont blanc and Richemont quite regularly. Uh, she is Calligraphy on Vogue on Instagram. She was really nice. Oh, yeah. I just saw her pop up, actually. On my Instagram? Um, yeah, well, on, on the, the nib section Instagram a few days ago. Um, oh, yeah. I um, must would have been the return story. follow. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, so that was Jo. She probably does sort of a modern style of calligraphy. And she was doing quite... Um, expressive things with the 146 flex nib, which they had inked. And we have to say that, um, so we, we got to handle both the 146 flex nib and the 149 flex nib, uh, but only one of them was inked. So only the 146 was inked. I hated that tester. I'm just going to, like, you know, Diana's trying to be very diplomatic about this, <laughs> but I'm going to lay it straight, right? That tester was garbage. And I tried it and I just lost it. Was it the nib itself or was it the... The The nib was horrific. And I attribute it to the something wrong with the tester. Now, the tester wasn't overflexed. It was the 146 size nib that they just swapped onto a regular um, 146 body. So you didn't actually have the gold leaf body. But the 146 nib wrote as a stub. It wrote as a stub because it was cut square. No matter what anyone told me on the night, because a lot of people were telling me that I was wrong, it was cut square. It wrote broad on the downstroke, very, very broad on the downstroke, and it wrote very narrow on the um, on the horizontal stroke. And when you added pressure to it, it flexed even further. So you got a lot of line variation without much effort because it was a stub nib. You could get more line variation out of it if you added pressure because it was a soft stub nib. Now that uh, uh, all of that aside, that's not a calligraphy nib as they as they sold it. They sold it as a, effectively an alternate for a pointed pen for a pointed dip pen. Wait, wait, wait. So this is it, it's getting a little bit confusing because so I will tell you that I have so far written with two different 146 flex nibs. The first one was a couple of weeks ago when I went into um, a store in Sydney and they let me try the the gold leaf 146 and that one had a 146 flex or calligraphy expression nib on it. And when I tried that nib, I thought it came to a point. I didn't notice it being stubbish. And yet the 146 calligraphy nib that we tried on Thursday night when I was with Sharon, that one had a very definite stub and it was also slightly misaligned. So it was a little bit scratchy, probably because a lot of people had been handling it over the course of the night. Um, But it wasn't overflexed. It wasn't overflexed. I will give Mont Blanc kudos that despite how people were mashing this nib and 
yes, people mashed their nibs. It stood up really well, other than being probably slightly misaligned and a bit scratchy. It really is a risk uh, as a company putting out like a brand new, uh, I suppose, relative. I'm not sure what the limitedness of that of that flex nib is. It's not limited. It out- I don't think it's limited. Okay. But putting it out there as a, as a tester is uh, defi- it's a definite risk. So this the cause of the confusion is because what where it first of all there's the difference between the two 146s that I tried one which Sharon did not like because it was stubbish and one which I quite liked and it wasn't stubbish so there's that disparity which I can only put down to inconsistency in the manufacturing and then there's the inconsistency between what we wrote with our own two hands and what um, the cell staff was telling us which is that it's not a stub <laughs> and so we were being confronted with something that is just completely different to what we I felt like I was in this alternate reality I didn't know what was happening Um, I was told in no uncertain terms no it is not the case it is a flexible nib it's not a stub it is a flexible it's a flexible stub yes but what we were also told was that the I was told that I was wrong Um, (laughs) we all hate that (laughs) Oh, no, no, it wasn't that I hate. Uh, I hated that. It just, I was a bit miffed by it because it wasn't them acknowledging that this pen did not work the way that they were selling it to work. And I was effectively being told what I tried was, I don't know, I had misunderstood the experience. I was um, confused. I wasn't in my right mind, I had too many champagnes, yeah, your, whatever it was. Your own judgment is unreliable. Yeah, yeah, reason. I mean, reasonable tact to take at a social thing, to be like, no, 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 this is how it is. But a weird, weird tact to take at, at a, a, what is presumably a promotional event um, for one of the people that you're hoping walks away with the, the item. And it wasn't helped by the fact that um, we got to have a look at the 149 Flex and we got to try it dry on paper, but we weren't allowed to ink it because um, the 149 tester pen hadn't arrived yet. And um, Montblanc doesn't allow you to ink their pens, which they intend to sell. So um, what we can only guess would have been a much um, finer tip, uh, finer tipping on the 149. We couldn't test that for ourselves to... um, to really get the full experience. So all we have of the night of the calligraphy nibs is the 146 stub. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we did take a photo, which will pop up on Facebook, of the two different nibs side by side. I took a photo of the night and you can see with not even a loop required that one is square cut <laughs> and one isn't. <laughs> but I, I will say... What Mont Blanc explained was that the 149 um, expression nib writes 0.3 millimetres across and 0.3 millimetres down with the ability to flex up to, I think it was 1 point something millimetres. Whoa. Point. Is it, was it a, was it a point three? It was a point three millimetre. It's an extra fine. Okay. Uh, this is why it's a pen that I would actually buy. Yep, yep. Um, and then they explained that the 146 nib was cut differently, and the 146 is 0.3 across, 0.6 down, 
and um, flexes to the same width as the 149. But if you had a look at the way that the downstroke was, that was more than a 0.6. I'll get out my I'll get out my ruler later and measure the strokes that I did do without any pressure. It was more than a 0.6. So it is actually a stub, but last that night was the only time I'd ever heard about this. Um I don't know. Same. Um and so I think the the one that the one four six that I tried, not at the Mont Blanc event, but earlier in the store, that one I think was cut more to the specifications. So it was narrower going down. Maybe it was still a little bit wider on the vertical than on the horizontal, but it was not so squared off as the one that we tried. But anyway, um, I think if you are getting or thinking of getting a calligraphy nib, you should be aware that they are not as soft as a Pilot Falcon nib, but they feel like they could take a lot more pressure than say a, um, so for my comparison, I think it feels a lot more able to snap back than an Omas Extra Flexible or a Falcon FA. So from my experience, I would liken it, it feels very similar to the Pilot Falcon, not the FA nib, just Mm -hmm. the regular Falcon. It feels quite similar to that. Um, I, I, you know what? I actually quite like that Mont Blanc nib. Um, I've been quite impressed with how much abuse it has been able to withstand. And um, probably say this as a Mont Blanc nibs in general, um, I've been very impressed by how much abuse they could withstand. So we had asked um, a salesperson at the store when we first entered. And we had asked them whether or not we would be able to try the expression nib. And, you know, this is another point towards the sales staff needing probably a bit more training, but they weren't able to identify an expression nib compared to the other nibs that they had on display. So the way that they were hoping to identify this nib was by uncapping every single tester that was available and then smooshing the nib down <laughs> on a piece of paper. And I, 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 I was going to say add pressure to the nib on a piece of paper. It's not. No, they smooshed it. <laughs> they smooshed it. And some of them smoosh broader than others. And my highlight of the entire evening was when one of the salespeople smooshed a nib onto the paper, got some line variation, handed it to me and said, that's the expression nib. We were like, no, no, that's not. And we're like, <laughs> no. So the no. expression nib has on the nib itself, it's got engraved on it little figure eights. That's the symbol, I think, for the mm-hmm. expression calligraphy flex nib, whatever they want to call it. So that's yeah. how you tell. <laughs> not by getting every single other Mont Blanc <laughs> tester that you have and smushing it onto paper and going, yeah, on flexes but mind you we did then use each one of these pens later on in the evening for the actual calligraphy lesson and they all wrote perfectly yeah they withstood the smooshing so i think i can't remember who it was but one of the sales reps or one of the brand reps on the night said that this nib has actually been at work um for in development at least for a few years now and I can understand for a company like Mont Blanc um, 
which sells a lot of pens, not necessarily to people who are very experienced with writing flex or who are very experienced with calligraphy. Um, or even in that experience with fountain pens. Yes. So for a less experienced user, you don't want something that is very easily breakable. And you do want a nib that can give line variation without um, being too delicate or requiring mm. special knowledge. So if a, yeah. if, you know, like any random Mont Blanc sales rep can handle the snip and not break it, then I think that's a pretty good judge of um, yeah. what a, you know, every, every average customer um, of the pens would be able to do with it. I think it's a lot more durable. You're not going to have to baby this nib as much as you would have to baby one, your OMAS, and two, like even an FA nib. I've seen people smush FA nibs and then they just don't bounce back. This nib, I've seen it get smushed and it bounced back. (laughs) And I think that might be part of the reason why it's got such a high price point. The other part being you're paying for a 149, so that itself has a high price point. This nib, I think, has... A $200 markup, $200 Aussie dollar markup on the standard um, Mont Blanc nibs, which, I mean, it's a lot of money, but if it has been in development for this many, this much time and it's withstood so much um, beating and abuse, yeah, uh, I think the $200 markup as a percentage of the price of a 149 in Australia. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> mm, particularly if it's not a stub. Yes. <laughs> that would well, be some a people might pay more if it were a stub. <laughs> so um, I guess a couple of uh, just a couple of things to note. The expression nib comes on two models at the moment. One is a 149, a plain 149, and it comes with the larger size expression nib with the 0.3 across, 0.3 down. 0.3 millimeters. I don't know what that is in inches. Sorry. Um, then it also comes in a 146 gold leaf body. So it is a brass body, not resin with lacquer and gold leaf on top of it. Extremely heavy. Um, extremely, extremely heavy. Uh, this is, this is a weapon weight. Pen. And because of the brass and the lacquer, it's actually not that much smaller than a 149. Uh, like there's a definite size difference especially in the nib yeah but um, But it's much bigger than the usual 146 in the meisterstuck uh the resin it's the same size no well the mechanism inside is the same but because of the added bulk of the of the lacquer and the layers um it's it it looks bulkier i've compared them side by side all right um it i didn't notice it being that much bigger when i held it um, but it was very heavy, very, very heavy. It's not one that you would ever post. Let's put it that way. Um, and that one comes with only the expression nib in the one zero point three across, 0.6 down, 0.6 millimeters down. And that one also comes um, with a regular standard nib. So that particular model, the gold leaf model, they call it the calligraphy pen. But if you're getting that model with a ruthenium nib, be warned that that is not a flex nib. So the only expression nibs come in a gold, solid 14 karat gold color and the ruthenium nib on the um, calligraphy 146, the gold leaf 146 
is not a flex nib. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit misleading um, because of the name of the pen model, which I think is actually called the Expression Calligraphy Pen or something like that. But if you get the cheaper one, which has the ruthenium nib, it's not flex. Or you can get a rollable. I was told a rollable was a great alternative for this calligraphy nib <laughs> on the knife. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any other reflections on the calligraphy nib? No. Uh, last, I guess last thing to say about the calligraphy nib is I've already heard, well, pretty much all the feedback I've heard online have been positive. I don't think there's a lot of negative things you can say about the nib except for the price and maybe the fact that it's marketed a little bit inaccurately um, as to the size of it. I think they should probably say that the 146 and the 149 calligraphy nibs are different and they're cut differently. Um, And I kind of wish that that information was more visible. But at the same time, I don't think a lot of people are getting the 146 calligraphy because it's it's much more expensive. I think it's about twice or at least $1,000 more in Australia than the 149. So um, the pricing, I'm rattling this off the top of my head, and I did have a few glasses to drink that night, so don't hold me to it. But I believe the 149 was $1,405 Aussie, including GST, and the 146 was 2695 including GST. Yeah, so about 1200 more. Um, then the, so the the smaller 146 gold leaf with the expression nib is about mm, 1,200 more than the 149 with the flex nib. So I think a lot more people are getting the 149, and I think that's a good choice if you want a a very workman... Oh, I don't know what's the word for it. It's a very practical and everyday sort of a flex nib that is soft enough for... Um, a bit of expression, but not for maybe Spencerian. I think you could actually do some pretty amazing things with that nib. Oh, we did see um, Jo, the calligraphy instructor. She was doing some nice lettering with the 146, mm. but I just, I really feel the lack of getting to see the 149 in action on the night. I, and I really wish that they'd had one inked because I don't think I can make a full assessment or a comparison without seeing it in action. So, um, yeah, it's, it's nice. And I, it's a good flex nib, actually. I didn't think I'd say that, but they they pulled it out of us. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'm going to go out and get one. Um, and the other cool thing, which, and I might actually get it from the Mont Blanc boutique because the other cool thing we heard about at Mont Blanc on the night, and we will get to those pens you want to talk about, Chuck, but they are about to offer probably in the next two months or so, um, signature engraving on their resin pens so at the moment you can get um like a a typeface so print or slightly semi-cursive engraved onto your pen now um they will soon be offering um the ability to sign like have your signature engraved onto your pen and i think that's a pretty cool thing which i would like to do on my 149 when i get it yeah i think um they were explaining that so the way it works is they take a sample of your signature and they record it in a database and so that initial process of recording your signature and having it 
put on a new pen purchase that's like a hundred and something dollars extra. But once they have that signature recorded, you'll be able to also get it um, engraved on old pens that you have at a lower price point. But then just saying that, I kind of wonder about the security of having your signature <laughs> recorded in the Montblanc database. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm always looking at easier opportunities for identity theft. So I, d- I have um, about four different signatures and I never use my actual, actual signature for anything other than signing legal documents. So that's ah. not the one that I would put on my pen. I sign a lot of documents at work and I don't particularly want everyone and anyone knowing my actual signature unless um, <laughs> I have to. So I do have like a work signature, for instance. Hmm, that's a good idea. Yeah. So um, I think that's a great service and I'm glad that they're bringing it to the Sydney boutiques. Okay, let's get into the really interesting part. <laughs> the highlight okay. of the night. Uh, okay, this is this is what I wanted to, to weigh in on. So, um, in addition to the calligraphy nibs and everything, when we arrived at the store, they had this lovely large table set up, like a range of the Majestastooks on the table, but also three cloches with three exclusive, like special, super, super limited edition pens inside those cloches. And the three that were on display... It was the the Emperor Hadrian, limited edition 76. Um, there was also the James Purdy, LE81. 81 signifies the number of pieces that it was manufactured in. There was the Miles Davis, LE90, which is, of course, based on, well, it's uh, inspired um, by the jazz musician Miles Davis. Those three were on the table. And the fourth limited edition that um, one of the brand reps brought on the night was something that I had never seen before. And it was the Anthony Gaudi limited edition 128. This is, this, is, this is a study. When he brought it out, I... It was a skeleton. <laughs> it's the skeleton one. Oh it's a skeleton God. with a 149 size nib. It's glorious. I might have... I don't know. I was I was in raptures when I saw it. Um, oh. And if I, you know, had... She had a moment. I, I, I definitely had a moment. This is three glasses in, but I, I had a moment. And if I had enough money to spurge on a pen that I would normally spend on a car, then I would totally have bought the Anthony Gaudi. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I did the responsible thing and Googled it uh, immediately after you guys showed me the... The pictures, which um, put me right off it, oh, yes. uh, for, for different. <laughs> so let's start. Let's start with the Anthony Gaudi. Um, it's a skeleton pen. It's a gold um, skeleton over a transparent blue, blue resin. Barrel. Blue barrel. You guys know I love a demonstrator. You know this. Mm. It's a demonstrator, but the cap of it is. It's got um, cloisonnet enamel on it in the mm-hmm. sort of stained glass pattern. So different colored pieces of enamel with um, metal engraved cap underneath the enamel. So you can see the engraving through the transparent enamel. It's beautiful. It does really look like stained glass. And this, of course, is inspired by the architecture of Anthony Gaudi, who is maybe the signature artist and architect of Barcelona in Spain. I think what was explained to us on the night is that part of the design concept for the pen is that there would be no sharp angles because in nature there are no 90 degree angles so everything's very organic and rounded off and um, it really does 
look very reminiscent of the mosaic walls and roofs that are in uh, Gaudi's buildings and his apartments that he's designed. And the very top of the cap, I think, is a piece of like a speckled white marble, um, which is also beautiful. Um, we will have some photos of this. And the nib on the Anthony Gaudi is a 149, so it's quite a large nib. Sharon wasn't too fond of the way that it wrote. We did get to write with this I, pen. Um, I didn't mind it yeah. at all. I thought I, – so because we knew what the price tag of this pen was <laughs> and because it was so gorgeous to look at, I expected the nib to just blow my mind. It didn't. I would actually say that I think a, I, I think some of the testers that we tried on the night in the tester mediums um, were nicer. It was just a regular Mont Blanc nib. It was quite lifeless to me. It had no give to it. It was very rigid. It wasn't super smooth. It wasn't the nice pencil type of feedback that I like that you get in a sailor. It was just a nib. It felt like a steel nib. So it was a bit lifeless to me. And with everything else taking my breath away constantly, I just wanted this nib to be like literally sweep me off my feet and I could go home and dream about Gaudi. I did not go home and dream about Gaudi. <laughs> it's easy, by the way, to do. A lot of people have done Gaudi pens. And they're gaudy AF. And they're gaudy. That's why we call them gaudy pens, yeah, not Gaudi they, pens. They, gaudy they pens. They, don't they don't always work and i uh, was very uh was very ready to to do the same write off with this one um but <laughs> I, I, I really couldn't uh it's it's gorgeous i don't like a lot of the montblanc limitations to be quite honest i think i think i can admire the craftsmanship and the concept um and how expensive they are without really um, being attracted or enthralled by the actual design. But this pen, I think it's colourful without being gaudy, as you said. And unlike a lot of the Mont Blanc limited editions, I think it really showed an appreciation and an understanding of the design features of the artist um, and incorporated those features really well in a very beautiful and luxurious way. Um, so I, that was really the standout to me. Can we talk about the James Purdy? Because that was a cool pen. That was a cool pen. The um, James Purdy was one of their, I think, Masters for Meisch, Meisters for Meisterstück um, collection. So it's where Montblanc collaborates with another artisanal house. And James Purdy is a rifle uh, manufacturer, I think, from the UK. And... Um, in the James Purdy limited edition, there's like several tiers of pens and the James Purdy 81, which is maybe the highest um, tier of the pens. It's, it's got caliber. You could say <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got this wooden barrel. It no, I can't remember what the, what they said about how this was made. I think it was um, a piece of wood that they'd engraved and then they drilled through the center of the piece of wood to fit the, the actual metal barrel of the pen. The cap of the pen is, what's the word? Um, it's debossed. Is that the expression that they used? Uh, let me have a look. 
The one of them they said it was debossed. Yeah, I just don't remember which okay. one. So the James Purdy eighty-one. Anyway, it's it looks like an overlay. It it looks like an overlay, but it was it wasn't cast. I think it was actually That's engraved. Right. So they said yep. that you could feel it, and certainly you can see it on the photos. the The edges of the engraving have this like sharpness, which is probably from the tool of um, that they use to re- to slice or to chip away or scrape away the metal. Mm. Um, it really does look like a rifle, like a a weapon. It looks and it has cool. such a good click. So. It's got a click that is meant to mimic the sound that of the um, rifle. Being cocked. Yes, yes. The hammer of the rifle being cocked. Yeah. There we so go. to open, um, to remove the cap from the pen, it's not a screw to open. It's it, it's a screw with a click at the end. Was there a screw? Because I didn't. There's a okay. screw. So to, to start to unscrew it, you need to press down this little like a button thing on the barrel to unlock it and then to close it again um you have to press that down and it gives you this very audible click as the pen closes and it's like this really nice sound we were playing around with pens last night like our our duponts and our uh, graf and papagastels comparing the quality of that sound with the click that we heard on the james purdy and um, it's very unusual. It really does sound like quite metallic and um, like a piece of weaponry or what I imagine a gun to sound like because I've never handled one in my life. It was very evocative. It was very cool. All right. So, you know, lots, lots of experiences uh, from, from retailers that uh, you guys have been party to uh, in this past week. Yeah. So I think we have to say that because there were only uh, one, two, three, four, four, five, six, like seven people. There were seven people, yeah. um, not staff. So only seven participants or attendees at the workshop or the masterclass. So we really got quite a lot of one-on-one time to talk to mm. the staff um, and just to ask them questions and um, because they were also participating in the workshop and drinking, um, I think maybe <laughs> there were more... Um, loose than they would be in a normal like a uh, situation where you just encounter them in the store so we got to ask questions about the limited editions and also about um the situation in the factories how the pens were developed and one of the reps told this story um i think he's been working with Montblanc for 27 years now um around the world and he was telling a story about how when he was um, being trained, uh, his very first experience of grinding his own nib in the nib unit at Mont Blanc in Hamburg, what that experience was like for him. And so we got to ask questions about what that nib unit in Hamburg is like for Mont Blanc, because it's not a lot, there's not a lot of opportunity, I think, to look behind um, the surface marketing of Mont Blanc and really to ask questions about how they operate the people who you don't see the craftsmen who really don't have an outward facing what's the word uh like a presence yeah in their marketing and um so i really enjoyed hearing about their nib unit the way that uh they explained it to us is that it's basically all the nibs that go into mont blanc pens the many tens of thousands of pens every year i'm assuming they're made in this one room that's like basically 
um, airtight, um, soundproof, soundproof as well, right? exactly. And we'll give you the reason for why it's soundproof. But it's airtight also because they're working with a lot of precious gold and they're you know grinding away at it. And at the end of each day, they vacuum up all this gold. Um, dust and gold shavings and they repurpose it like they melt it down and they reuse it because there'd be just so much gold in the air and I just have to imagine like what is the health hazard of breathing in this stuff I'm assuming that everyone who works in that room must be like wearing face masks it's like that that scene in New Jack City where everyone's doing it in their underwear so that <laughs> that's exactly what I was picturing. So, that, so that they know that no one's taking anything even if it's just shavings yeah well gold dust is the new cocaine um <laughs> And um, the other story that we got was that almost, well, more than 90% of the artisans who work in the NIB unit are women. And this Mm. really, um, I think it's surprising to a lot of us, but also it really meshes with what we've heard from Annabelle and also with um, really Audrey Audrey. and other people. Yeah, it's it's quite topical for our last few episodes. Exactly. And it, it made me wonder yet again, why is it, why it is that so many of the really um, well-known um, nib specialists are men, and yet in the profession and behind the scenes in the actual brands and the manufacturing houses, why those are usually women. And it really reminded me of the contrast between the ladies who sew in the great haute couture houses and the fashion designers who are you know, the outward facing um, artists who design and promote. So that was, that was interesting. Um, And I'd love to know a bit more about how that came to be and why it is that so many of the nib um, specialists who work for like Pelican and Mont Blanc, why they are historically women. But the other little, oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say the other thing that we found out about the whole nib making process is that um, they've said it's easier to make a broader nib than it is to make an extra fine. And so when you start off with learning how to make nibs, you start off with the like the double Bs or the broads, and then you make move your way down to the extra fine nibs. Yeah, I buy that. There's there's probably like a lot more margin of, of for error, and it meshes with. Um is it Pelican who charged an extra, like a premium yes. for their extra fines? Yes, that's right. And also Lamy. Oh, that's a new development, isn't it? Lamy has, um, it, like I was looking on, um, what website was Appleball? And they charge a premium on all of the extra fine nibs because the Lamy extra fine nibs were so in demand by the Asian countries that they're, they weren't shipping a lot of new models with extra fine nibs anymore. Hmm. Um, the other little story that I loved was they were saying that most of the people who work in the nib unit, when they're doing their final test on the nibs, they do it basically with their eyes shut because what they're doing is dry testing the pens on paper and listening to how it writes rather than looking at how it writes. So it's really by feel and by sound, which is why the room is um, soundproofed. And I don't, I'm assuming that everyone's just really 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 quiet and they really don't talk at all and there's once you walk into the room you're just surrounded by the sound of nibs on paper it's that soundproofed room where you can only spend 12 hours or you start to go crazy you know, <laughs> and, 
Yeah. No, but that 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 chimes in as well with um, that line that uh, I think became the title for that episode with Annabelle. Um, was it the hand senses mm-hmm. more than the eye can see? Yeah, I, I love coming back to that one. Mm-hmm. That was part of the highlight of the evening, like getting the chance to hear those sorts of stories. And I don't think that we were really lucky that we managed to have the Australia managing director there because I think they have a lot more experience with the brand and with the writing instruments than um, just the general sales staff that we have in Sydney. So I really appreciated the chance to talk to him um, about his pens. And he was the one that we were sitting next to. So like we got you know, a chance to like to joke around and um, talk about the calligraphy nibs and about how it is like working at Mont Blanc. Mm -hmm. If you look at this event in the context of the brand strategy, Mont Blanc in Australia is not that known for its writing instruments. I, I mean, I don't think that the range maybe is as, you know, that it... Uh, walks off the shelves as it might somewhere in Europe um, where we got a lot more fountain pen sales. In Australia, I think Mont Blanc probably do a lot better in like leather goods, um, maybe even watches, ballpoints. They do very well Ah. in the ballpoints. I see a lot of Mont Blanc ballpoints around at work. Okay. All the execs have them. I know in Australia when I get asked whether something's a fountain pen half the time, it's, is that a Mont Blanc? But, um, but just from my experience of, I guess, buying from Mont Blanc in the last few years, my experience with the service in the retail, um, in, in the boutiques, is that they generally don't have a lot of training in the writing instruments or in the, in the fountain pen models specifically. I think they're much more knowledgeable about, you know, like um, their luggages and um, the watches and, you know, suitcases, um, handbags, well, not bags, but, um, you know, wallets and things like that. So um, if I can interpret this event um, as a reinvestment in learning more about the writing instrument market and trying to promote that aspect of the brand more heavily in Australia, I think that's a really good sign. I think that's, you know, a return to what Mont Blanc is originally best known for. And certainly the work that they've done on the calligraphy nib, the fact that there is this innovation in their nibs after so many decades of basically um, not having a lot of, you know, new um, innovations. I think this is really interesting. All right. Well, uh, that takes us to our recommendation section. Uh, For those of you that are listening, uh, this is where we recommend things that we like that may or may not be uh, fountain pen related. Uh, I'm going to start this one off. uh, And it's part of the reason why I wasn't at the Pelican Hub. Um, I've been really enjoying this show on Netflix and it's called Happy uh, with uh, an exclamation mark. Um, Are are either of you two familiar with Happy? I think I've seen a bit of it. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so it's a project that Christopher Maloney's been doing for the past two years since he he left SVU. Uh, He's phenomenal. Uh, I I love his work and it's it's really uh, fun seeing him do stuff that isn't as serious as SVU. At least not, not... the whole time. Uh, Chris, so, wait, Christopher Loney from Oz? That Christopher yes. Loney? Oh, okay. Yes, that Christopher right. Maloney. He was um, recently on The Handmaid's yeah. Tale. Really good. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's I, I suppose him not being on SVU has meant he can do a bunch of other stuff now. Um, very, um, very, what's the word? Um, 
he can do he has a lot of range like he does comedy he does his thriller. comic chops are amazing really cool. yeah yeah uh so the i, I want to set the the scene of uh the the cast and everything before I, I get into the premise of the show um but it's written by grant morrison i believe yeah who's done amazing work probably the only contemporary takes on superheroes that I've really enjoyed. I'm, I'm like a, uh, in my teenage and uh, high school university years, uh, I was big on collecting comic books. I, I find the superhero market is very oversaturated now. I'm kind of like disinterested in superheroes, but Grant Morrison always did great jobs on it. It is shot and uh, written by Brian Taylor, who is of the production group uh, Neville Dean and Taylor, and they did Crank. They did all of these super well shot, crazy premise action type things. You know, so the whole thing is shot really dynamically and really gorgeously. It, apart from Christopher Maloney, the main lead is kind of co-shared by Patton Oswalt, who. Um, you, you may know from a lot of comedy roles, and he always tends to do a, a lot of punch-up kind of things with um, with scripts. But the the premise is basically that a bunch of children have been kidnapped, and the only lead that this um, disgraced cop has to the kidnappers uh, and his daughter that's been kidnapped is his daughter's imaginary friend, which is played by Patton Oswalt and is like a purple unicorn type thing. Um, it's really quite an odd show. It's bizarre. It's gross. It's violent. Wait, 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 but wait, wait. It's... Why does a teenage daughter have an imaginary friend? Oh no, oh. she she's she's not teenage. She's like maybe ten or ten or twelve. Why does or she something. have an imaginary friend who looks like Patton Oswalt? Uh, no, it doesn't look like Patton Oswalt. It's voiced by Patton Oswalt. Oh, so um, it's animated. This show? Yeah. So there's there's like an animation element, and there's the I I'm only in the first season. Uh, there's two seasons. I, I haven't quite found what the realms of magic and, uh, you know, supernaturalism in the show are. But it's very, it feels very comic booky. It's almost like if the Punisher had a sense of humor about it. It's quite good. And I got that sense from about 15 minutes into the first episode. So, Happy on uh, Netflix right now in Australia. And uh, I imagine a bunch of other things uh, elsewhere. But really good. I, I recommend Okay. Um, my recommendation, it's, um, it's not a show. It has to do with uh, the fact that in Australia, we're, well, right now we're in early spring and already across Australia, bushfire season has been ongoing for the last like month or so. So we've been having bushfire since late winter this year um, after pretty much an unprecedented drought that we're still in the middle of. Parts of Victoria and New South Wales that are more inland are really, really in dire need of rain and they're almost running out of um, their water reservoirs. In light of that, so Sydney has been in level one water restrictions, I think, since the beginning of the year or pretty much early half of this year. So my recommendation is if you're someone who has a lawn um, or a garden, make better choices about what you plant uh, this year. And, you know, plant natives that don't maybe don't require any watering at all. And mow your lawn less because the less that you mow it, the, the longer your grass is allowed to grow, the more it's able to capture 
uh, condensation and it doesn't require as much watering to maintain its greenness and also like just be more thoughtful about how you use water outdoors. I don't, I'm not of the opinion that, you know, individual choices in our homes necessarily make the difference that makes a difference. You know, I still think that we should be putting pressure on industries to change their water use practices. But at the same time, I really believe in gardening in a way that is intelligent about how we use and conserve water. And also the fact that you're not mowing your lawns as much, it allows, you know, flowers, daisies, weeds to grow a little bit, which is not unsightly in my opinion. And a lot of those flowers actually feed the bees, which is also a plus. So um, all those little things, I think, really contribute quite a bit. There are things that we can do that we don't expect to save the world, but um, is more responsible and It also is a lot less trouble than having to set a timer or having to go outside and like use a a trigger hose to water every day. So just think about that as we head into a very, very hot summer, which will probably be an extension of the drought that we're already in. Uh, What about you, Sharon? Um, So my recommendation is a game. And I have, uh, well, if I didn't have uh, events on the past couple of days, I would not be leaving the house. Just like today, I'm not leaving the house um, because I am head deep into Fire Emblem Three Houses. <laughs> and I am living this life as a professor who looks after a particular house of students and you get embroiled in all of the ups and downs of three different kingdoms and their um, everything that's going on in their lives. It's a turn-based um, strategy game, which uh, I've been a huge fan of all of the Fire Emblem series. Um, I love the Fire Emblem series because it's a game where when characters die, the story continues. Yes. It doesn't, Every it doesn't just go, counts. yeah, it doesn't just go, oh, hey, uh, do you want to take this one again? Um, it goes, nope, that person died and we're going to move along with the story. It's like, dead? Well, ain't coming back. You killed one of the little kids? Well, ain't coming back. Um, so, yes, I am obsessed at the moment with this game. And if anyone else is playing it, please feel free to send me a DM. Talk to me. Tell me everything about which house you've picked. Who's your favorite character? This is the best part of Fire Emblem. I could just go on for days. Who are you romancing in Fire Emblem? Because, you know, as a responsible professor, you can get with your students. It's like Harry Potter fan fiction come to life, only in an actual game. I was going to say, this makes you McGonagall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, pretty much. I'm okay being Maggie Smith. Like, seriously, there are worse people to be. I'm okay. I'm okay being Maggie Smith. But, yes, Fire Emblem, please message me um, if you want to have a chat about it. I'm always up for a chat about who's the best and we can argue all over it. Uh, there is you get very emotionally attached to the characters. I remember when I finished Awakening, Fire Emblem Awakening, I was in a major slump for a good three weeks because I wasn't just emotionally attached to Fire Emblem, 
the game or the first generation of characters. I was then attached to my kids and their best friends. It was this whole deal. Um, but yes, this one so far has been really, really good. I'm still very early on in the game. Um, I will report back next episode. All right. Well, and I'm uh, Team Blue Lion, FYI. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Sharon, for your rec, and uh, thanks for tuning in with us today from uh, from the relative comfort of your bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Di, for joining us again and being uh, up and about early, same yeah, as me. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. All right. What was um, up and about? I did my laundry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It, it was not a slight. It was not a slight. <laughs> um, but uh, as always, uh, I'm Chuck. <laughs> uh, until next time, listeners, uh, ink well. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, or feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Chuck Montano, Sharon Zah, Diana Dye. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dye. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.